0: You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier
1: Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at the Frontier Pod.
0: Hey, Jason, good to have you on, man. Hey, thanks, David. Good to be with you. So if you don't mind, would you just give a, a little introduction, yourself and, and your work, where you came from, where you're going?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing what I've been doing now for 20 years, breathing life into products and companies and early started out with the Department of Defense, uh, working for Northrop Grumman, uh, working in intelligence and gathering data, pattern analysis and visualization and moved my way more to early stage companies. I found a lot more variety there and more control to help affect the outcome. And then five years ago on a dare, I started Cortivity, which we help recruitment firms, you know, build relationships to unlock their potential. And we've grown that over the last five years to a profitable, stable company.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that journey, you know, we talked a little bit off mic about uh, the love of working with startups, you know, and and sort of the, the ebbs and flows of that and uh, maybe wanting to be leader and and not getting to be and so you know i I could see you know i looked at your background rising up through you know sort of the the ranks there and just going oh, to hell with it i guess i i need to be the boss is is that is that accurate that's how i read it
1: yeah um there's actually interesting story there so after thompson corporation uh, acquired knowledge net who was a part of we had more of a reverse acquisition where our leadership and our platform took over for thompson and I remember sitting down with the um, interim COO, his name is Chris Dragon, really good guy. And uh, he was talking me through you know, seats on the bus. You know, and I was really wanting to lead up the technology division that time. Of course, I wasn't ready at that point in my career, but I didn't know that. And he was really good as a mentor to kind of lead me through where I needed to be and where I needed to go. Um, but that's pretty rare. Um, in my experience, and I've really prided myself on helping pay that forward, that mentorship. Most companies have been part of, it's really about, hey, how can we move this the direction that the board or the CEO and the founder uh, wants to go? And a lot of times that can change shape on a day-to-day basis. Um, ebb and flow with their personality and you know, kind of just their feeling of the moment and what they're trying to chase. And that was really my frustration the last three or four companies I was part of, um, as I told you off mic, I really wasn't looking to start a company and be a CEO, uh, but felt so frustrated with the the general direction, a lack of control at that level that uh, opportunity presented itself, and here we are. Awesome. And
0: so, yeah, you know, what I don't know what was the difference between those seats, you know, being a, a technology leader under somebody else, you know, with different other you know other mandates, and now having to sit in the, the CEO seat. I've talked to a lot of technology founders who have, have found themselves in that place. And it's sometimes liberating and, and sometimes I, I guess sort of uh, overwhelming even, you know, just to to have to be in charge of, of all the things and maybe take your eyes off the technology a little bit. Does that happen to you?
1: Oh, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, It's a lonely place being the CEO and the founder because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you, right? And your job is to make everyone else successful primarily. But at a small company, which we still are and I've always been a part of, you're very hands-on in every part of the business. So it is constant multitasking, context shifts, and figuring out what you can delegate and what you should delegate. And someone once told me, Uh, this rule, the the $10,000 an hour rule. If you're a founder, your time is worth $10,000 per hour. So if you wouldn't pay someone $10,000 per hour to do that, you probably shouldn't be doing it. You should find someone else to do it more
0: appropriately. So what are some examples of of those things that as you have gone through the founder journey that I guess you're delegating a lot then? Because there's not a lot that's worth $10,000 an hour.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to be big picture, right? So, I mean, just little things on on the dev side to customer migrations. Those are gnarly. I've done them my entire life. And, you know, you can actually took an intern out of university of Texas and taught him over a summer how to do it and be autonomous. Right. So just taking the time to kind of train someone and get them in so that they can scale behind you. Um, even things like travel, you know, using virtual assistants and things like that to handle some of those day-to-day
0: things that can really free you up. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. You use the word autonomous, not solo. You know, I'm, I'm curious how you think about that because uh, those are kind of different things, you know?
1: Yeah. So in, in my perspective as a leader, my job is to get you to think as a business owner and to make decisions in alignment with our core values and kind of the rules of the road that that we give you, right? You know, for us at Cortivity it's you know, everyone's empowered, most important is our customers and then our employees and you know, then our investors and backers. And that all kind of takes care of itself if you take care of the customers. And we want every employee to ensure that they're empowered to take care of the customer. So be able to make those decisions and do right and be autonomous and not having to be the, the spoke in every decision and every transaction and every process really helps you scale. And I've seen that done poorly where you know I've worked for a company where the CEO was you know micromanaging every aspect of every senior leader. And it was not a really uh, great environment. It was a little bit toxic culture, and it didn't provide uh, the opportunity for the business to fully um, you know grow and you know take into account the experience and background of each individual leader and incorporate that into the business. So I think autonomy is important in the sense that they need to feel ownership and accountability to it, and your job, my job as a leader is to support you to be successful.
0: And We've all probably experienced micromanagement. You know, I I'm curious where where does that stuff come from? Do you think you know now? So you're in the CEO seat, right? And, and I imagine there there oh I've been in it too. And there are all kinds of draws. Like to you feel pulled. Like I oh I know how to do that better, or I could get in there and do that. I mean, you have to really dismiss yourself from the desire to be involved and and do those things so where does you know i don't know where does micromanagement come from and if you have that urge you know kind of how do you how do you push it back how do you how do you train yourself to get away from doing that when you have been operationalized for so long
1: yeah so i mean i'm not i say this is not my first rodeo right i'm in my 40s and i've worked with a lot of different companies of variety of size variety of leaders Um, And I think experiencing that and not enjoying it is the best reminder for me to uh, let go, right? You always have that urge, I can do it better, faster. But at the end of the day, if you don't trust the people that you put into those positions, why do you have them there? And that's always been something for me that I've, at every stage of my career and every team, you know, whether it's been a, a small team as a tech lead um, or even a department as the CTO of a company, you know, I implicitly trust everyone until you give me a reason not to trust you, and then I have to let you go, right? Because you can't rebuild that trust back. So I tend to provide a lot of leeway in that way um, and trust, especially early, and kind of see. I like stretching people too and let them kind of grow into the roles. And see what they can do because a lot of times they come out of a different background, different experience than you do, and that's something that you should really try to incorporate into your culture. you
0: experience that? But it's not easy. Oh, go ahead.
1: Okay.
0: I was wondering if you experienced that. Uh, what you just said as, as diversity, you know, coming from different places and, and backgrounds. Diversity is a hot topic in in tech industry now. I'm curious how you how you think about it. You know, uh, to me, it wasn't such a hot topic as much as you know that that in the leadership and team building literature you you'd always think about hey i want to build a team that of people that are um, complementary or, or different i have different experiences but but now you know the d- diversity and inclusion is is a hot topic how do you think about that in a small company
1: i mean it's something you have to purposefully do right you can't outsource that to a recruiting firm or, or even your hr team just to go find You know, I'm doing air quotes here. You can't see me. Diverse candidates, right? So it's something you have to purposefully do. And I'm reminded of um, a company I saw on 60 Minutes when I was growing up. My dad would always watch 60 Minutes, and we'd eat our candy bars on Sunday nights, so you could have the quiet time to watch 60 Minutes. And by virtue of the TV being on at that time, we were watching it. And there was a a company that all they did was bring together diverse and not just diversity from ethnicity, but just backgrounds, right? You'd have someone that does marketing and then someone that's like a, um, a welder, put them all into a room and try to solve a problem, right? And I forget the name of the company, but um, they went on to build some of the most revolutionary products um, and ideas. It was more of a think tank, but they were purposeful in who they brought in and invited, And I think that's important, too, is you need to be building relationships and always, especially as a CEO of a company, thinking about where are the weaknesses and where are some areas that you can specifically target to build those relationships to maybe eventually even part time help out your company. It doesn't always have to be a full time role.
0: Yeah. I mean, how do you recognize the holes if you don't even know that they're there? That's probably an experience thing. As well, you yeah. Know, you start to realize, like, where, yeah,
1: yeah. Again, that's where what I've experienced in working with a lot of younger entrepreneurs—they don't have the experience to know what they don't know, right? It's kind of like uh, raging raising teenagers, I imagine, right? You know, they know everything, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, like Mark Twain said, you know, my parents got pretty wise between those three years of nineteen to twenty-two, right? Eventually, they wise up and realize there's a lot of things we don't know. We need a lot of help. It really takes the village.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I know your your product is in a space of enabling really, you know, sort of excellent recruiter relationships with, I guess, with candidates and, and companies. Talk talk about that because it 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 sounds like you probably built you know a mental framework that that then informed your your company and your product to, to bring that forward, the, the ethos of, of what you're doing with the product?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, no one likes third-party recruiters, right? I, I mean, I'm obviously not a recruiter by trade. And in my experiences in working and building teams and companies, there's a lot of hiring that goes on. I've worked with a lot of third-party recruiters. And, and there's one in particular, his name is Mark um, and he always built relationships. He was like the mafia. You, I couldn't get a meeting with him unless someone he knew vouched for me, um, either as a client or a candidate. And that's really been kind of my guiding light in building this company is how can we get back to the relationship being the center point and building and providing value to those relationships and everything else kind of takes care of itself, right? If you do that first.
0: So how do you do that? You know, from a, from a product Standpoint. Well,
1: we encourage our customers to, you know, um, provide something of value. So rather than talking to a candidate and saying, "Hey, you know, David, you've never heard of Cortivity, but you should come join us as our VP of Sales. Um, We're the best thing since sliced bread." That's not very credible to ask you to make a super stressful decision, maybe uproot your family. You've never even heard of the company. So instead, our, our customers talk to candidates a little bit differently and say, hey, David, you never heard of Cortivity? nor should you have necessarily, but they are a company you should put on your radar. I'd like to invite you to my network, and you'll receive periodic updates directly from Jason Burns, their CEO, maybe once every seven or eight weeks. And you'll get to know the company a little bit better before you make any kind of decision because they're not looking for someone like you to head up their sales team today but in maybe q1 2020 they would be so let's kind of get you plugged into the network and start mm-hmm. receiving those updates and seeing if it's a good cultural fit over the long term
0: sure it does the does the candidate you inter- know interact at all or is it this sort of a broadcast kind of mod- model no
1: absolutely right mm-hmm. so they subscribe um, mm-hmm. each update they can comment like provide 360 degree feedback refer a friend Mm-hmm. all those types of things. And, and really that stems from when I was consulting. Uh, I built a consulting company here in Austin. I would date founders first. I'd give away my time for free to get to know them a little bit and see if it's someone that I wanted to work with because I was at a stage in my career I want to be picky who I chose to work with as well as get to know them a little bit on my time, You know, maybe a few hours a week here or there to see if I could help them. Right. And every single case that I did that either led to, I can't help you. Um, I don't, we don't get along. Or hey, maybe it makes sense for me to do a tour of duty here for six or eight months and help you out with these specific things. So a lot mm-hmm. of that's about trying to figure out how you can help and serve others. I think that's mm-hmm. an important distinction to make when you're talking to recruiters. Um, for example, on LinkedIn, everyone probably gets an in message from a recruiter, right? It's all about me. I call it the show up and throw up. Let me show up and throw up all over you everything about me and everything that I'm doing and everything I need you to do for me. And every now and again, I'll get a an email that says, hey, I just want to get to know you, you know, or I won't even get that. They'll just make an introduction that they think is helpful. It's like, hey, you know, I know, Craig, Craig, you should know Jason. I don't need to be involved. But you know, just here to try to help. And those are people that I purposely try to engage with now to understand um, what they're doing differently so we can incorporate that not only to mm-hmm. our products, but also, you know, our ecosystem of customers.
0: You make a good point to show up and throw up, particularly online, that everybody's experience, I think, has made a lot of us. Well, not me. I do this anyway, but... <laughs> You know, a a lot of folks, I think, are are sort of even skeptical of the person who says, no, 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 literally, like, I just want to have a conversation and network with you. Like, you seem interesting and, you know, we might have some stuff in common. Uh, Ubiquitous connection seems to have, you know, pulled us back a little bit from the trust factor that, that you know my time is is worth spending because everybody can ask for for anything you know so I'm interested how do you tell the difference between the you know the people that you know are sort of reaching out for genuine purposes and and some of the people that use that as a a tactic because that happens to me all the time you know you don't really want to network with me you want to sell me stuff and you know I can tell because I was in the sales seat a long time right um how do you how do you find you know the the authenticity with that uh connection factor being so high now?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Fortunately, it's pretty easy to detect and weed out the 99% because literally as soon as you connect with someone on LinkedIn, I I can get it down to a clock, right? Within five minutes, you have an autoresponder usually. It's not even personalized anymore with their message, right? Hey, looking for offshore development partners. We do XYZ. We do you know, we're a virtual assistant. What, whatever it is that they're trying to sell you, that's their first in-mail to you. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty easy to weed out, yeah. and I ignore those. Yeah. And they'll keep emailing me and following me up or in-mailing me, and I still ignore them because the way they started the relationship was, was off-putting to me, right? Now, if someone says, hey, I just want to get to know you, I'll engage with them a little bit, depending on if they're local or not. Yeah. You know, I may choose, to, or if I know someone that they know, if we have something in, someone or something in common, I might go meet with them for coffee and see if there's some way I can help them. Right. Again, that's just part of my attitude of trying to pay it forward yeah. um, and try to help others the best I can. And, you know, one of the things that I think that is important in, in building those relationships is being open minded and not closed minded and saying yes to those opportunities more than no, because you never know what might happen. You know, maybe you get invited to the masters <laughs> by some person you didn't know. It could happen, right? Right.
0: Yeah, it would have been good this year. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, how do you? You know, I think there's this pull for. I think of it as budgeting too. You know, for like, uh, you know, investing in your future connections and and network and just that that nature of service, uh, particularly if you're, you know, a lot of our audience is going to be us from the consulting or hourly billing type of mentality. You know, you really have to think about like, hey, how do I want to invest in networking and, and service and these long-term developmental relationships because, you know, I'm sort of not getting paid for that right now. You know, you need to budget that into your your schedule. Uh, do, you, do you think about it like intensively like that? Or had you ever made a, a plan intentionally about it or just like kind of a more organic experience?
1: Uh, certainly when I first moved to Austin, it was much more intentional planning because I knew no one. But now, 12 years later, it's much more organic and opportunistic. And I I look at it, if you ever heard the story of watering bamboo by the ancient Chinese, uh, a good friend of mine, John, taught me this. You know, the ancient Chinese would water bamboo faithfully every day, year one, year two, year three. By year three, the the farmer's family thinking is crazy because nothing's happening to the bamboo, right? It's just a big dirt pile. And finally, after year four and year five, the bamboo will spring up 60 feet in 10 days. And the whole point is that during those first five years, it was building its root system to sustain that type of growth. And if you've ever tried to kill bamboo, you can't. You literally have to pour gasoline on it and light it on fire. And even then, you're you're probably not going to kill it all. And the point of that is that your network is really those roots. And if you nurture your network and build that root system you know, it takes time and you have to have patience and again, have that open mindset. Eventually what happens is opportunities start to chase you and not just professionally, even personally, right. Uh, Versus you having to chase every opportunity. And I'm sure you've experienced that as a salesperson too, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in, in this seat, you know, I'm now a professional networker, which comes full circle to, you know, exactly what you said, new city, building new companies, you know, Uh, having lots of coffee and all those things. We just seem to have been able to virtualize now so I can meet with anybody anywhere. (laughs) And that's, that's been a a lot of fun. I still drink just as much coffee, you know, but uh, maybe, maybe save on the bill a little bit. So, uh, you know, great insights, man. I I love that about the networking. So real quick, before we wrap up, please, you know, just give the, give the pitch about the company, talk about the product, you know, who the ideal customers are. You know, I want to make sure if anybody's listening that, they can be aware of, of what you're building and, and, you know, potentially uh, bring you some, some business or other relationships.
1: Hey, I would love to do that. I think the most important thing for your audience though, is to think about how um, they can find a true partner as a more career advisor. A lot of us have financial advisors for our 401ks, but we don't have the equivalent for our careers. And that's really what we're trying to help our customers become is be a better mm-hmm. partner especially for your audience. You know, I know it's a little bit different in tech than than other industries. We tend to move around a lot, especially your audience being in the consulting side. And having a good partner like, you know, Gun.io that can kind of help with that and be open to uh, talking to recruiters that truly are after helping you and not just about the transaction of how you can help them, I think is probably the biggest thing that, that people can take away. Well, we appreciate they that. They are connection. out there. They are totally out there. It, it just you have to kind of stumble across them.
0: I will tell you that we do care a lot about that, and we spend a lot of time on relationships, and and it has paid off. I appreciate that because, um, you know, some sometimes you, like you said, you have to plant those seeds. So you know, absolutely makes makes a lot of sense. And and yet, every time we invest in those relationships, you know, they they come back, and and many years later, you know, there are people I'm working with at. A gun that that came from my network at other jobs, and hey, what are you doing now? I'm doing this cool thing, and you were a great developer. You should check this out. And I think that that's been really, really valuable as as we grew. You know, the the company on on our side. So, thanks for noticing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's about the relationships, right? And, and again, as we move forward, I think generally. You know the connectiveness that we all have now. It's so easy to get those impersonal connections on LinkedIn, you know, email, even text message now, and obviously the robocalls that we all get from the IRS saying we owe extra taxes. But um, you know, finding those individuals that truly are trying to genuinely help you and build those longer-term relationships, I think it does a lot of different things—not just like I said, professionally, but personally and for your community and and not just community as in, hey, development, but your local communities as well for you in Nashville and me in Austin. So I think it's super important.
0: Absolutely. So where do folks find you online to do that?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, um, you know, Jason Burns, J-S-O-N um, Burns. Or you can follow me on LinkedIn or you can go to our website and sign up for our blog, com. With a K. With a K. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Thanks, Jason. It's great spending time with you. Thanks for coming on. You as well.
1: Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gunio slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.